Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Robert McCartney was murdered by members of the IRA. He died after being stabbed in the street in January 2005. The stabbing happened after a fight broke out in McGuinness's bar on May Street at around 11 o'clock last night. The 33-year-old man from the Short Strand suffered a stab wound to the stomach and he died later in hospital. There was nothing political about it. He was killed in the aftermath of a bar fight in which he tried to defend a friend. It was not an IRA operation, it was not an event which was authorised by any organisation. Did the IRA ever share the names of those they said were responsible? They gave, uh, well certainly three names they gave. They said that they expelled two of them and Jock got suspended for six months. He was killed by members of his own community. People he knew, people he would even have been friendly with. Nevertheless, IRA members frantically cleaned the scene and tried to cover it up. McGuinness's bar had been forensically cleaned after the murder, a paramilitary tactic perfected by the IRA. Like many other murders, they might have hoped that it would eventually blow over. It didn't. It became an international news story. Those of us standing here in the Senate have supported and applauded and encouraged the process for the last 10, 12 years now. It cannot go forward unless there is a complete reckoning with the demands of justice in the murder of Robert McCarthy. That's because Robert's sisters, born and reared in Belfast's short strand, were determined to fight for him, to try and get the truth, even justice. And I'm looking forward to meeting these uh, very brave souls. They've um, committed themselves to a peaceful solution and you know, hopefully their loved one will not have died in vain. I'm Suzanne Breen, and in this episode of The Bell Tale, I speak to two of those sisters, Paula and Catherine, 18 years on, about their struggle for justice for Robert. Paula, you were the first to hear the news that Robert had been attacked. Can you tell me what happened that night? Um, well, it was actually... Uh Robert was out that night and my son was actually babysitting for Robert. So he rang our house telling me that the police had just been to the door of Robert's house to inform Stephen, my son, that Robert had been stabbed and was in the Royal Victoria Hospital. So obviously myself and my husband, Jim, just jumped in the car and went straight to the hospital but I'll never forget passing McGuinness's bar. Now, we, we had no 
knowledge of anything other than Robert had been stabbed. All I I could think about was, I hope they didn't hurt his face. I mean, stab, it didn't enter my head that it would be serious, if that makes sense. But on passing McGuinness's bar, and I seen the forensic team, I knew that that's where it had happened. And I also knew that it was serious because of the ribbons and all were already up. So when on, on reaching the hospital, we were brought into the relative's room and the doctor obviously telling that he was, it was pretty serious. It was, you know, so the reality then started to come through. Were you able to see Robert? No, we weren't, we weren't able to see him at all because he was, the whole time we were there, he was in theatre because he was losing that much blood and they just kept pumping blood into him, but it wouldn't congeal. But that went on for hours and hours and hours. So we just never knew. Catherine, you didn't find out that Robert had been attacked significantly later. I think it was to the the morning. So I think it was after seven. Um, I got a phone call to say that he'd been stabbed and he's in the hospital. So I had to go up. And by that time I get up, he'd, he'd passed away. So he had. You must have thought it was a nightmare, Paul. It was, was a nightmare. It was an absolute nightmare. Um... I remember going into the toilet and being down on my knees praying to God. <laughs> I haven't even thought about this in years. Okay. That was when we started getting uh, a bit of a picture of what had actually happened to him. Um, some of, the, some of his friends who were in the bar that night were able to tell what ha- happened and who was involved. And it was very quickly became obvious of who was actually involved. And IRA members and Sinn Féin members were there and involved in what happened to him. After hearing the devastating news of Robert's death, details of what had happened in McGuinness's bar began to emerge as Robert's friends arrived at the hospital. It was here his sisters learned that IRA members were involved in Robert's murder, including IRA commander Jock Davison. How many IRA men were involved in Robert's murder? Um, well, there was up to 15 people involved because... There was people in Market Street that night as well. Now, all of those, the majority, if not all of them, were either members of IRA or IRA and Sinn Féin. Mm. So there was definitely 15 people accounted for. What was the role of Jock Davison? He was a former IRA commander of Belfast. Mm. What was his role in the night of Robert's murder? The role of Jock Davison... From what we were told, and I do, I do believe it, that it was Jock Davison gave the order that Robert and Brendan were to be attacked. Now, the, we were told that he could put a gesture across his, his throat, and that was the order um, to go after Brendan Fine, who was Robert's friend at the time, and Robert down, um, down the street. And it was from there then that they were stabbed. My personal belief is that Jock Davison may not have been the one that thrust the knife in but to me he had mad dogs 
on lead and he let them go. Mm-hmm. So Jack Davison put his finger across yeah, his throat. Yeah, yeah. In a, in a throat gesture. Brendan Devine had his throat sli- sliced. Well, there was <coughs> altercation between Jack Davison and Brendan Devine in, in the, the bar. <coughs> Jack Davison got his hand cut and from that then it all ended up outside the bar and that's when he gave her the order when Robert was getting Brendan okay. away then he gave her the order and that is when his henchmen then followed down the street Tell me about what happened inside McGuinness's bar in terms of the fight Well from my understanding is right so Robert had went to christen that day and then he had met a uh, few of his friends and McGuinness is after two o'clock so he was sitting McGuinness is, I think he was there with his friends most of the day mm-hmm. so they were all just sitting as normal and then Brendan Devine who was Robert's friend arrived down at after eight o'clock by this stage I think either the ones had come back from Derry or so Brendan either walked in when they were there or they were there the kid didn't come in long after Brendan was there Brendan and this crowd have um, bad history, so we were told. Now, the story we were told was that Robert made a rude gesture to the wife of one of the crowd that I would say had returned from Derry, right? So, her husband, who is an uncle of Jock Davison's, they approached Robert and apparently they had a few words, but they left it, they shook hands, got it, got it sorted out and they shook hands. Then Brendan Define became involved in some manner and Jock Davison then became involved and the next thing, Jock Brendan Devines got into an altercation with Jock Davison. His head was pulled back, from what we understand, his throat was mm-hmm. cut with a bottle and Jock Davison's hand, he got his hand injured during the altercation. Robert then tried to get along with other two friends Brendan Devine out of the bar so got them out of the bar and it was once they were all out of the bar I think this, the two and four went on outside the bar and Robert along with his two friends were getting Brendan Devine down the street when they were pursued then by the 15 that Paul has talked mm-hmm. about earlier I remember from the trial um, evidence was given that Robert had not thrown one single punch that night? Yes, we were told by one of the ones who turned up at the hospital at four o'clock that morning and the first thing he said was to put a gun to his chest. Mm-hmm. There was talk of a gun in the street that night. Now I find it very hard to believe that Robert didn't try and defend himself in any way whatsoever and he was, he, Robert wasn't weak, he was a strong man. So he was pursued by two, Bruno two, mm-hmm. who allegedly hit him, and now these two, Robert would have just been able to flick. Flick away, flick away. So why? So he wasn't able to defend himself, and we personally believe it because there was a gun present that night. Yeah. Nobody rang an ambulance for Robert. I think it was the police that found him drifting in and out of consciousness. Yes, it was um, two off-duty policemen. Um, yeah, so no one phoned an ambulance, and again, they can only answer why they didn't phone, why they didn't feel it necessary. Because by this stage, one man had been his throat had been sliced in the bar. There was blood everywhere, um, and then there were obviously what had happened then. Um, I don't believe that nobody knew what was happening down that street when whoever it was had the knife. You know, so no one thought of even ringing the police. Mm-hmm. Didn't think of ringing an ambulance. It must have been just into um, cover-up mode. 
Oh, they were able to fund a taxi. Quite a lot of them, with Sinn Féin members mm-hmm. too. They were able to get taxis that are like that, but they weren't able to get an ambulance. Mm-hmm. Catherine, you believe that cover-up was actually worse than the murder? Well, I wouldn't, obviously, in terms of it worse, but certainly the loss of Robert, obviously, through that was traumatic. And then on top of that, defined, it, was, it was compounded by the fact then that there was a, there was a cover-up from, and again, probably compound, compounded further by these people weren't strangers. You know, some of them, you know, were Robert's friends that he would have considered been pals with mm-hmm. and some of them he was actually sitting with that night mm-hmm. so yeah it was just it's hard enough to come to terms with the fact such a senseless murder for absolutely even the IRA themselves said for no reason mm-hmm. for your brother to lose his life like that absolutely senselessly lose his life like that and then for other people to decide you know is life so worthless we're going to cover it up mm-hmm. you know that was really really that was probably where the ang- uh, uh, you know a sense of real anger then came from, mm-hmm. you know, that they thought they were just going to leave him land in the gutter and they were all just going to walk away and it was just going to be forgot about in a week or two. Mm-hmm. And then you can bring on top of that the politicians out doing it. You know, Alex Maskey out the next day complaining about the police doing a search. You know, it just got sort of worse and worse the more hypocritical every, you know, the more they spoke, the worse they made it. Mm-hmm. You know, so... Obviously, nothing could be worse than losing him, but certainly that cover-up, yeah, it's just, it's just goes to the depths of injustice. You put up posters in shops and in the community centre appealing for information about Robert's murder. Mm-hmm. How did that go down? Uh, it wasn't received very well, as you can imagine. Um, and some of the comments, I mean were ludicrous like one person in particular who I actually worked had worked with prior to that in the community was offended by the police badge you know so things like that so some people were more offended by the police insignia on the poster than they were by Robert's murder exactly yes you know so I mean what I will say it got it gave you a real eye opener to humanity. Did you lose friends, Paula? Absolutely. Well, I'd say friends obviously weren't friends, but for friends, there were people who, you know, were in our homes maybe nearly every day, you know, and sorry, yes, and I can understand to a point that they were, they were afraid, but there's ways and means of relaying that. And on occasion, some of them, not only did they not support us, but they actually did damage to us as well. What damage did they do? Well, different ones did different things. I mean, the fact that our so-called friends did disassociate themselves from us, give ammunition to people who were opposing what we were trying to do, which was get justice for Albert, and other ones even went so far as to claim that we were intimidating them, which was all false. So it was just compounded. Again, his death was just compounded by, you know, these were childhood friends. I mean, the, the friends of Robert as well. I mean, it was just absolutely disgraceful, shameful. 
I remember the first media interview that you did. It was with myself. Did you realise when you spoke out to the media then about Robert's murder how huge a story it would become? No, I actually thought this was all going to be wrapped up in a week because to me it was a simple case of here's the people who murdered him. I just go and get them. That's how naive I was to it all. So it was just when it started, when these people weren't being picked up and then politicians, yeah, were coming out and saying things that was totally going against, you know, what I thought you should be saying at this, that it then started to, you know, come to us that, no, hold on a minute, maybe this isn't going to be as straightforward as... It should be, considering everyone knows who done this. There were 70 people in McGuinness's bar that night. How many of them came forward with information? No one, as far no. as I'm aware. What was the reason generally given for them saying they, they knew nothing? Well, a lot of um, a lot of them said that they were in the toilet or they were on their phone. I don't... A lot of people mightn't be familiar with McGuinness's bar, but it's a tiny bar. It has one toilet. It's absolutely impossible for more than one person to be in the toilet. So it was quite evident from that that no one was going to be willing to give information simply because of the people who were involved in murdering him. It was disappointing because, again, there was people in that bar, even that Robert would have known, maybe played together as children. So... You know, that was um, very disappointing that they weren't prepared. Even anonymously, they could have, you know, even even rang them an ambulance. Why could they not even have done that? You know, so you just kind of looked at everyone completely different after that. You received a lot of political mm. support. How much of it do you think was about the campaign for justice for Robert and how much really was about getting the IRA to decommission and getting Sinn Féin to sign up to policing? Right, so the way I look at that is at the time, you know, from our point of view, obviously, when you're not a family that's dealt with politicians or media or anything like that before, it's totally new territory for us and certainly not invited and not wanted. So our goal is just justice. So we were willing to listen to anyone who was going to sort of try and help us get that. And for a while, we sort of believed that people, you know, within those circles um, were genuine about trying to get us that justice. I suppose it was this time, I would say, when the likes of, okay, we went to America um, for St. Patrick's Day, we didn't go asking for that invite. Mm-hmm. That invite came to us. Obviously, somebody behind the scenes thought, this will be a good idea. Mm-hmm. We'll get them over to America. Uh, the president thanked the McCartney family for their courage. He knows that their courage comes from their love. And the president let them know that he shared in their grieving over the loss of their loved one. Uh, the president also expressed his belief that everyday citizens can accomplish extraordinary things. Uh, The McCartney sisters have united people around the cause of peace and the rule of law. And the president let them know that the United States would do what we can to help. I don't believe for one minute that was because their goal was justice. 
I would say that what they seen was an opportunity to place pressure on Sinn Féin. At that point, I would have said it was more to do with getting Stormont up and running again. And the sticking point at that time, I think, was it the decommission or the policing? Mm-hmm. Whichever one, I think, was maybe the decommission at that point. Because mm-hmm. there was not an inch, not a bullet, wasn't mm-hmm. there on walls and yeah. all? It's not what was all they were really. The IRA weren't for budging and the DUP weren't for, for budging on that. So the peace process was effectively... The train was in the station and it wasn't going anywhere. So my view would be the Northern Bank robbery in December 2004, political establishment were not happy with that. The upper echelons of society weren't happy about that. But the people in communities didn't care. It's a bank. Who cared about robbing a bank? But then when Robert's murder happened, people in the communities did care. So it connected more. So you nearly had a coalescence between these two coming together. They carried up stairs and now the ones downstairs also carried. So this pressure against Sinn Féin and the IRA began to build. And then we were, you know, a conduit through which they could push that pressure to where it would hurt Sinn Féin, which is America. So we get invited over to America and there was all of that um, data around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sinn Féin, I think Jerry Ammon's visa, he got his visa, but he wasn't allowed to fundraise. And then you got the thundering speech from John McCain and all of that. Historians may look back at this time as a defining moment. The failure of the talks followed by the bank robbery in Belfast and the IRA murder of Robert McCartney. And enough is enough. Um, do I believe that was to get justice for Robert? Absolutely not. No. That was to get the train out of the station again. Mm-hmm. So we were continuing to campaign and obviously the media was still a lot of coverage but again I would say that media coverage wasn't just organic to the media so I would say the political thrust still continued on to put the pressure on to Sinn Féin because if you think about it then you had the cho- you had the charges then in June right mm-hmm. because when Sinn Féin started to move and started to move towards the decommissioning then you had the charges come in June and in July was it Shona Walsh who read the speech about the decommissioning mm-hmm. In July, you have the speech and decommissioning. Robert's trial, the charges effectively shut down our campaign. I know it continued, but that that was that was the height of it then, that was the peak. So when the establishment got Sinn Féin to where they wanted them, but they needed us then to sort of go away too, but sort of fulfil what they'd wanted. So those farce of charges was brought um, against the three men so the media then couldn't report as much as they had done before they all sort of shied away and then the IRA delivered to the British government what they wanted in July and then for the next year and a half we're still useful mm-hmm. because policing still hasn't happened and our key thing was it was getting people into the police station to tell them to give the police the information that they needed to pursue the charges we were still relevant to that for that and then 2007 sign up the police in 2007 mm-hmm. and that's it the establishment have got what they want they got mm-hmm. Sinn Féin and the IRA where they want them a number of men faced charges in connection with Robert's murder they were all found not guilty mm-hmm. how did you feel when the verdict was delivered not surprised I mean I wasn't surprised. I didn't... Well, just listening to the trial, you kind of knew that they weren't going to be found guilty. Did you find the trial very painful? I wouldn't say I found it painful. I found it frustrating Mm -hmm. because I couldn't for the life of me. And I told the police every day why it was in court. Mm -hmm. 
based on what I was hearing in court. Okay, it tied up to the narrative that we'd been told, but it was a narrative, it wasn't evidence. Mm. And again, it just confirmed what I had suspected, that the trial was just, again, theatre for for the establishment to, to say to the public, you know, that's all, that's all tied up. We, we did our best in that and we're all tied up in Rebo and I just put that out of your mind. You know, to me, it was just all part of that. We did me I did meet with the PPS after that and told them that I thought it was an absolute disgrace that they brought the trial. And I said to myself afterwards, I wouldn't have convicted them mm-hmm. on what I'd heard. I wouldn't have convicted them for jaywalking on the evidence that was presented in that court that day. They had a man sit in the witness box and admit that the IRA had interviewed him on numerous occasions and that whatever he was going to be saying in the trial was what the IRA told him to say. I mean, who would let that witness even sit? He was a hostile witness to begin with. Mm-hmm. Who is going to convict a man Please for murder? I mean, you're talking, you know, murder, the highest threshold of all mm-hmm. on the evidence. There was... As I say, I wasn't. I was frustrated. I was angry, very angry with the fact that they brought it in, and I thought that by bringing, I would have preferred it just to lie, on the books, no trial, no nothing to do what they did, mm-hmm. was to just put the family through a farce, which is what that trial was. Do you think you were too trusting of the police? Probably yes, yeah, but at the same time, again, I really did, up to a point, believe that he was going to get justice. At the time of Robert's murder, there was a young, up-and-coming Sinn Féin politician. I think she was due to stand for the party in the council elections, Deirdre Hargay. And she said that Republicans had nothing to do with Robert's murder. Indeed, she said it was part of a criminalisation strategy by critics of the movement. You have to keep in mind, you know, and the leadership have confirmed as well as the IRA, you know, that Republicans have nothing to do with this. And again, this is part of the onslaught by the media and governments and political parties to criminalise Sinn Féin and the Republican movement. And people now, you know, are angered at these accusations. She was in the bar the night of the murder. I don't think she, she gave a statement to police. She, she has said she, she wasn't asked, but mm-hmm. did she ever contact you to express her condolences? Never, no, not once ever um, expressed any thing to the family. Dear Dee Hargy topped the poll last year in South Belfast, mm-hmm. which, in which you live. She's your MLA. Well, again, that's another uh, that's another thing that we have to suffer. You know, again, total disregard for the feelings of Robert or feelings, sorry, of Robert's family. Um, I mean, as an elected representative, the date that she was made the mayor of this town. Her first thing was to pay tribute, to go to the market area and pay tribute to Jock Davison. Again, my family had to deal with that. Paula, in October 2005, you had to leave the short strand and you were pregnant with your sixth child. 
Why did you have to leave? Well, it wasn't an easy decision, um, to be honest. But, well, it, it just became untenable. So, uh, it would have, for me to stay there, it would have meant that I would be seeing these people who were involved in murdering my brother every day. For your mental health alone, you wouldn't be able to sustain that. Um, although, I did, I think I remember saying to Catherine on one occasion, I don't know, I don't think I'll leave because an extent to I felt, why should they get away with why Why am I feeling that I shouldn't be here when the people who murdered what you would call one of your own, one of your community members, don't feel the need to move away. They're still where they were. But ultimately, I was going to, you know, I could realistically see that I wouldn't have been able to stay. Do you think anyone will ever be convicted for Robert's murder? No. And it, I mean, people might think that's a very defeatist attitude. And I know there's a lot of people, you know, you never give up and you continue to fight. But um, I don't think that people, I don't think there will unless someone hands themselves in. Um, I don't think anyone ever will. And, you know, at this point in time, I don't even know if that would really, I don't know if that would bring me anything anymore. It's, it is the loss, as Paula said, as is, is your kids grow up and you see, like, my, our, my son is 29 in a couple mm. years' time. He's going to be the age of our Robert mm-hmm. when he died. Yeah. And you're like that total waste mm-hmm. of a life, and the, but the two boys are missing out. So, you know, the focus is more on that than justice system and the hypocrites up in Stormont and yeah. the ones who are going to bring their secrets to the grave. Let them bring him to the grave. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know that's just for me. It's Robert's loss as a person that I think about now more mm-hmm. so than who's who's not coming forward. Yeah. Maybe one day something will crack, maybe the police will discover something, I don't know. But um, for me, it's, it's, it's not something that consumes me the way it, it had for many, many years. Yeah. The IRA said they offered to shoot the people who murdered Robert. Did they? No, they didn't offer to shoot. And I suppose that plays into the whole, you know, what was the political goals of all those who either came to support us or who were against us. Us as a family were just looking for justice, but there were a lot of players that were involved in something bigger than us. So we had met with the IRA in February and, and we'd met them in March, just before we went to America. And in February, the only time any shooting was talked about was when one of the IRA men had said that if it wasn't for the peace process, they'd be dead in the morning. He didn't say um, that he didn't offer to shoot and we went, no, we don't want you to do that. There was none of that. That was in February. Then in March, we met with him again, but there was nothing really came out. We didn't even understand why. They'd asked to meet us the second time, but we didn't understand why because they didn't really give us any more information. The first time they'd give us information about their investigation, what they'd done, you know, who had done what. It was actually the IRA that gave us nearly a full narrative on what had happened to Robert in the bar that night. But the second time around, they hadn't really got much. The meeting only lasted about a half an hour or so, and there wasn't much more information. And on the back of that, they issued a statement saying that they'd offered to shoot, and we were like, no, you didn't. But that was run with them with the media, and that was the story. Now, again, it's about people's agendas but what really sort of frustrates me 
The IRA said they offered to shoot. The other five people in the room said they didn't. But what story does the media run with? What story does the politicians run with? What story do, do people who are writing books about it now, today, apart from a few who do their, who do their research, continue to run with what the IRA said? Mm-hmm. What did the IRA cover-up of Robert's murder involve? Um, in terms of the, the, the cover-up, obviously, after that happened in the bar and the chaos, and our understanding is then that a call was made up to the West Belfast and it gets a bit of who said who but they were told to go home they didn't go home but then the understanding is then they started to cover it up they cleaned up the bar now they had about a half hour um, they cleaned up the bar there was bleach used um, there was videotape taken out of the, the CCTV um, apparently this is IRA business mm-hmm. someone had shouted this is IRA business and you know it was just a whole, you know, from then on, shut down, everybody silenced, taxis and all were ordered to get everybody out of the area. Um, people were told they weren't to say anything and to say inside the bar was cleaned as much as possible. It was cleaned up as much as they could clean it up. So it was there was a conscious decision made at some point going from a spontaneous bar fight to within minutes deciding to get people down to help to clean it up. Mm-hmm. Say they didn't have that much time to clean it up, but they did the best that they could. But they, they got rid of the tape was probably one of the most key things. And the knife, they got a knife. The actual knife came from the kitchen. That's right. And then it was ground down. Now, again, the IRA told us it was ground down. But according to the IRA, the knife was was, um, was grounded down. The police never found mm-hmm. the, the the knife. They still don't know to this day it was one knife used or two because Brenda Devine was also stabbed twice in the street. Mm-hmm. Robert was stabbed once. So was there one knife man? Was there two? Mm-hmm. They're still not, they still can't say. And then in terms of the cover-up also, it carried on to the following morning where in the markets a riot was orchestrated in an attempt to obstruct the initial investigation. So once they the had started the cover-up, they, can, they had to run with it then. And then you have to consider then that the IRA interviewed, took away witnesses and interviewed two key witnesses. Mm-hmm. And one, I think he was interviewed on quite a number of occasions. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they went to that. Went to that. They they had their own investigation. I mean, the IRA probably are sitting with more information that they could hand over because they probably did more investigation than the police mm-hmm. because they had access to the main players, that access to the evidence, that access to everything. So the IRA still have the answers that we would want. Did the IRA ever share the names of those they said were responsible? Yes. They gave, um, well, certainly three names they yeah. gave. They said that they expelled two of them and Jock got suspended for six months. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to say that what they told us was was full truth. I believe that there was certainly a strong element of the truth of left, obviously left enough out, where, you know, they were obviously covering up for certain ones too. Mm-hmm. But I would say what they did tell us, said the police then were able to verify a lot of it too. Mm-hmm. And the, the people in the bar that night, a lot of them, Catherine, had come from the Bloody Sunday march in Derry. Isn't there a great irony in that? Yeah, the, you know, everybody knows, obviously, the significance of Bloody Sunday and its place in what has happened in um, 
in, in Northern Ireland over the past 40 so years and what the principle of that was, fighting for justice, the unjust killing of innocent people. And for they have been there marching, you say rightly so, with people in Derry for justice. And then they come back into the war and they inflict that on another family. And they cover up just as much as they would have accused, accused the British of covering up. You know, so, yeah, I mean, I would say not irony, but total hypocrisy. It just tells you that the, they don't march for principles. They don't march for justice. They don't march for truth. They march for their own goals, whatever that may be. But it's certainly not for justice and truth they were marching because they certainly weren't prepared to deliver it to our family. Is there any difference in those IRA men that night and the soldiers who shot those people on Bloody Sunday? This episode of The Bell Tale was produced by myself, Suzanne Breen and Graham Davison. The clips you heard were from RTE, BBC and UTV. When you get an Irish independent digital subscription, you don't just get access to the news at your fingertips. For a limited time, you'll also receive a €75 O'Neill's gift card. So what are you waiting for? Get the whole kit and caboodle. Visit independent.ie forward slash subscribe today. Irish Independent. Terms and conditions apply.